Welcome to Exploring Illusion Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and it is December 9th, 2014. Special show today, we have a new co-host. His name is Chandler Klebs, and we'll be introducing a segment that he'll um, be in, in a, uh, once I get through this intro. And Chandler is um, he's very concerned about issues related to life and death, and he has the belief, you know, he shares the belief with me and, and many other people, basically, that to the extent we can understand that everything's determined, then we can lessen a lot of pain and suffering and minimize death. And Ch Chandler's, um, one of his focuses is he believes that also to the extent we can overcome this illusion of free will, we can help have fewer abortions. He, um, he refers to himself as the anti-choice determinist. And um, we'll get into that actually in the episode after this. But all right, so what we'll do is like now we're going to take a break and Chandler will have a, um, a clip that lasts about 12 minutes. Then when that's done, I will come back and, um, and just talk some more. So, um, and since, since Chandler is actually refuting free will, he's going to be like defining it the way we ordinarily do in the beginning. So, um, all right. So here's Chandler. Thanks. I am Chandler Klebs and I'm going to refute free will, but first I'm going to define it. Free will as I'm defining it and many dictionaries do is that we are 100% in control, that our choices are free choices that are in no way affected by prior causes or anything outside of our control. And that's obviously false, and, and let me explain. First of all, we don't choose our genetics. We don't choose our hair, skin color, gender, um, traits of whatever nationality whatever we don't choose our genetics at all because to do so would basically mean that before we were conceived we chose which two people had sex and I don't claim that responsibility and I don't think anybody else does either so aside from the fact that we don't control how our own bodies develop our own DNA and all that stuff we also don't choose how we're taught or what we're fed all the experiences that we have in life we don't choose those because that is determined by all sorts of other living and non-living things and that's just a basic fact I mean there's things outside of our control. So what I'm saying is we're not 100% free, but then when you think about it logically, if everything has a cause, it's pretty much like we're not in control at all. And this is where it gets interesting because when people talk about free will, they really mean that they have a will. They say they're making choices. They say, course I have free will I'm making choices but every choice has a cause everything we do we have a reason for it now sometimes we don't know the reason why we do things 
at like we're unconscious, like we have an unconscious part of our brain that does stuff without our knowledge. And our bodies function, all our body functions happen without our knowledge, our permission, all of that sort of stuff. So we don't have control over things like whether we burp or fart or sneeze or cough, all those things. And we also cannot choose to do something that we have no knowledge of. And that goes back to what we're taught. Um, what you're taught by your parents, your friends, teachers in school, or um, in a religion like a church or synagogue or mosque or, or anything like that. Um, your choices, your own opinions and beliefs are not your own. They come from somewhere. And that's what's so interesting about it, that on one hand, we're unique and that each one of us is different. And there will never be another person exactly like us. And that's cool. So we feel a sense of individuality. We also have this false sense of self, like that we are ourselves, like that we are um, in control of our own things and what we do. But really, we can't take credit or blame for what we do. I mean, if you make a decision, and it's based off of any information, whether someone told it to you, or it's in a book, or you just observe something um, anywhere, uh, like the behavior of some animal, you, you studied the way a grasshopper hops or whatever, you are basing it on your experiences, which come from your physical senses. So if you're, you know, Helen Keller, you know, you're blind and deaf, then obviously you don't have the freedom to do anything that people with sight and hearing can do. Now there's freedom of action and freedom of will, which are separate things because freedom of will would imply that we um, can choose our own desires, choose what our desires are. That would mean being able to choose what foods we like or don't, what tastes good or not, um, choose what gives us pleasure or pain, choose things like, you know, sexual orientation, that sort of thing. And we don't really have that kind of choice. And you might be thinking, well, who really cares if we have those kind of choices or not? Um, well, for the most part, the individual doesn't care. And that's the beauty of it. Because if I'm doing what I want, that makes me happy. People generally um, are happy when they're doing what they want. Um, so it's not really a problem. The only time it becomes a problem is when what one person wants and what another one wants don't match up. When two people can't both get what they want, and this is the source of conflict. This is the source of, you know, all kinds of broken friendships and marriages and that sort of things. You know, when you have disagreements and sometimes you have arguments and, and terrible fights or even wars. But the reason that it's helpful to understand that this belief in free will, that we can even choose our desires and our emotions and all 
that kind of crazy stuff, I mean, if you overcome that, then you don't blame people in the same way. You don't blame yourself in the same way. Realizing that you might have an ideal, you might have a desire to be perfect, to do something perfect, to be the best at something, to do all kinds of things that you can't do. And I've, frust I've been frustrated with that, that I can't be perfect, always say and do the right thing. Basically, um, you know, if I always knew the right thing to do, which is going to make people happy or make myself happy, it'd be different. Like, I'd be able to talk to people and communicate with them without them getting mad, you know. Um, but at the same time, it gets more complicated than that because sometimes I have to speak the truth even when it's gonna upset somebody because I'm honest and honesty right there, the desire to be honest and tell the truth um, means that I don't really, that's another reason I don't have free will. Like, I, I'm honest, I, I'm gonna say what I think or know is true even if other people don't like it, when it needs to be said. And that's just kind of what happens. Um, and the fact that we also have a desire to be relevant to people, to be connected with people. Um, now, perhaps my desire to be connected with people, to have friendships, isn't as strong as it is for some people. Because some people would rather lie to keep a relationship going. They would rather compromise and pretend to agree with something that they don't just to keep a person in their life. And I just can't do that. Um, as much as I want to remain friends with people, you know, um, there comes a time, you know, when it, it doesn't work because other things take priority. If someone that I know is hurting someone else, I'm going to call them out on it. Or when they're doing something to me that I don't like. When something is just wrong, then that's where it becomes a problem. And so when it comes to an important issue like abortion or, or animal rights or some kind of disagreement about a very controversial topic, well, I don't always get along with people. And sometimes there's arguments. And... People don't always understand where I'm coming from. And they don't understand the attitude with which I'm coming from. And I don't want to punish people. I don't like to cause people pain. I don't like to get people upset. Um, but at the same time, I just can't allow something to go on. If, it, if it's wrong, if somebody's being hurt, if a lot of people are being hurt by something... Um, painful or something false that's causing people to behave in a weird way, some harmful way, well then I want to speak up about it. And that's part of the motivation for um, talking about free will and why it's an illusion. Because really, um, sometimes when somebody hurts you, you just think, well, they did that because they're evil or they chose their own free will. But really, that's not what's going on. I mean, there's some cause for why someone chooses something. Now, it might be a stupid cause. 
it might be an immoral cause, but there's a cause nonetheless. And the point of overcoming the free will illusion is for us to find the causes. Because if we know the cause of something, we will then act to eliminate that cause. If you go to the root of the problem, the source of the trouble, then you can prevent bad things from happening in the future that happened to you in the past. But once again, you only know that something hurts you or someone else because it's already been done in the past. So the causal past is still causing our present and future decisions. So it's kind of this illusion that we're making choices, free choices, um, that aren't hindered by things outside of our control. But really, there's all kinds of things outside of our control our genetics, our environment, the way we're taught, um, all sorts of things that really keep us from just making choices without a cause. I've never heard of a choice without a cause. Um, and maybe we don't know the cause, maybe we don't know why we roll over in our sleep or something like that. We don't know everything, but we don't have to claim to know everything. We just know that there's a cause, and we try to discover that cause. And I hope that um, you understand that. And if you don't, I guess I can't blame you because you don't have a free will. And that's kind of the great joke of it. Hope you enjoy. Bye. Okay, thank you, Chandler. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to reiterate a few things Chandler said, and then just like talk extemporaneously. Um, just about different matters. Because I think we're going from understanding that we don't have a free will to what it means, what it means to our world, what it means to how we see reality. All right, so Chandler um, started out with his definition of free will, and it's correct. You know, in order to have free will, we'd have, a we'd have to have 100% control of our decisions. In other words, like, 50% isn't good enough, 5% isn't good enough, 1% isn't good enough. Because if there are things that are not in our control that are contributing to our decision, you know, those contributions are, they're, um, they're salient. They, you know, they relate to the issue. Okay, so um, basically Chandler, um, you know, as, as you noticed, he... He explained how because our behavior is controlled by genetics and environment, our upraising, you know, our upbringing, how we were brought up and what we learned and all that, you know, that just makes free will impossible. Um, again, he um, explained that everything has a cause and that is the fundamental reason that free will is absolutely impossible, you know. Um, okay. Um, so let's see. Okay, he went into the difference between freedom of will and um, no, freedom of action, sorry, and freedom of will. I mean, in a certain sense, what happens is that like, you have to have the will to have the action. You have to like decide before you can act. So like, if you don't have freedom of will, you certainly can't have freedom of action. Um, sometimes freedom of action is, is um, used in a different sense in terms of um, 
let's say political freedoms or just like mobility, you know, physical uh, freedom. Okay. Um, so, all right. So, um, I'm just going to, let me, um, let me just talk more about what this means that, that we don't have free will. Um, and again, Chandler is going to be doing clips um, each show. And, and I'll just like be just talking about things that, because I, this is show episode number 176, I believe. And, um, you know, we've already explained, you know, why free will is impossible. It's going to take the world some time to, um, to understand it, to accept it. You know, the same thing happened with Darwin, um, with his evolution. He proposed it, I think, back in the 1860s, somewhere around there. And, you know, about 150 years later, you still have about half of Americans that, that um, prefer or need to believe the story of Adam and Eve and creationism. So sometimes, um, sometimes beliefs are so strongly held, so deeply ingrained, that they do take a great deal of time, excuse me, to overcome. Now, um, with this belief in free will, though, we may not have the luxury of, of that much time. Um, yeah, I think it's important to go into this. Um, basically, you know, I've, I've done, I've brought this up. I haven't actually gone into it from my book, and I'll do that in an upcoming episode in more detail. But the idea is that um, Pew Research, this research firm, they did um, a poll in, in early 2014, and they determined that about 56% of Americans <coughs> don't believe, <laughs> excuse me, that... Um, climate change is happening and don't believe we're causing it. Um, 56%. You know, it's both. It's not like, it's not, you know, they have to like deny both, you know, to be included in this poll. There, there's um, some people, for example, believe that it's happening, but they don't believe we're causing it. But with, with that kind of number, um, you know, it's... You can understand how it would be incredibly difficult to um, to garner the uh, political influence, political support, the consensus to actually do something about it, because it is um, it's a moral issue, but it's also a political issue because you know governments have to really lead us. And you would think, well, free will. What's free will have to do with this? Um, a lot, actually. Um, Basically, there are various reasons why people deny climate change. I think um, one of them that, that people understand is like there are, there are some people, some, some business people, CEOs, they make a lot of money, their corporations make a lot of money on fossil fuels or on industries that are very energy intensive. So there is this self-interest at work that, in a certain sense, um, 
doesn't allow them to either believe or appreciate the significance of climate change. Uh, there's somebody who once said, like, you can't expect someone to understand something that his job depends on his not understanding. And um, that explains a lot, I think. Um, but that's, you know, that's, I don't think that's a very large percentage of the denial. Um, although it's an important percentage because those people have a lot of money and a lot of influence and they have been confusing people about climate change for several decades now, you know, just basically not just slowing things down. I mean, pretty much grinding them to a halt. Um, other people, so let, I would, I would put that, you know, the first group, just a ballpark figure, maybe like at most 10%. Um, of this 56%. And then, you know, then I think there are people who, um, there's four groups, I think, in total. There are people who just cannot accept that climate change is happening because it's too horrific. It's too horrible. Um, they can't believe, let's say, if they believe in God, they can't believe God would do this to the planet, you know, would... Um, they, they, they can't believe it would happen. They can't believe, actually, that we human beings would do something so horrible. Um, another group, I think, is very religious. And this is, this is a... And, and so, like, the second group might be around, I don't know, um, let's say 20%, 30%, I don't know. Um, then there's another group that are very religious, and they actually... It's not that they necessarily deny climate change, but they believe that it's some kind of like divine presaging of like a rapture, the end of the world, you know, the apocalypse, you know, Armageddon. I mean, they have various scenarios for, um, you know, end time prophecies. And so, you know, with that group, and that might be about 30% perhaps, um, of the 56%, they, you know, they may believe it's happening, they may not, but they, they just don't consider it very important. And so the, the last group, which I would guess is maybe like 40% of this um, 56% that are in denial about climate change, they, um, I believe, they are denying that climate change is happening and that we're causing it because of the free will belief. Um, I mean, basically, scientists are telling them that, you know, what, what we're doing, what you're doing, is so horrible that, you know, quite literally billions of people may die. Um, our population may go from, let's say, 9 billion, right now it's at 7 so 9 billion, let's say 2050, it might go down to, it might drop to below 1 billion. I mean, there are scenarios that, um, that show that happening. And so when scientists tell them they're doing something that horrible, they, um, they, can't, they can't accept it. They can't, um, because we as human beings, this is like a psychological kind of like understanding 
we have a need to preserve our self-identity, our self-image, you know, as good people, you know, ourselves and those around us. So what happens is like, so people, the scientists tell them, you're doing something really horrible. And then like to the extent that they listen, they begin to feel guilty. You know, that guilt is painful. They feel the pain of guilt. And in order to overcome that pain, what they do is they end up denying that what, what the scientists are telling them is true. Um, and this, there's a lot of research in social sciences that, that shows that that's what a lot of people do when they're confronted with truths that are threatening to their self-identity. They deny the truths. All right, well, the, uh, the free will connection is that like, in order to feel guilty, to feel blameworthy for, um, for taking part in threatening the planet so, so drastically, you have to believe in free will. I mean, you can't feel guilty otherwise. You might still feel bad, you know, but... Um, so, for example, like, if, if the scientists were telling um, the public, you know, you don't have a free will, no one has a free will, we, we're not doing this of our free will, what happened had to happen, then... The hope is that um, by hearing that and not feeling indicted, then people won't have to feel guilty and people won't then need to resort to denial. And the hope is maybe from that perspective of, of absolution, of innocence, maybe then they can begin to look at the evidence. And, you know, some people might say, well, if people don't feel responsible for having caused climate change, maybe they won't feel responsible for fixing it, for, you know, doing as much as we can about it. But, you know, I would tend to believe that people are concerned with their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. So, so basically we would be addressing this out of concern rather than out of guilt. All right, that's how, all we have time for. I hope you enjoyed Chandler's segment. We will be back, and he'll be um, presenting another, another clip on the next episode. Um, in the meantime, you know, catch our Manhattan show Wednesdays at 11 o'clock on MNN. You can um, see it in the internet. We're live like now every two weeks. In about a couple of months or so, we'll be live every week. And if you're in Manhattan, catch our meetup the first Saturday of every month. We actually just had one um, this last Saturday. And, um, you know, again, we're going to like devote these episodes to just like understanding more so what it means, at least my segment will be. And, you know, just because it's it's a really new world um, with this understanding. Okay, thanks for watching. We'll see you again soon.